Well, happy St. Patrick's Day to all of you out there. Poughkeepsie and online campus uh, had to wear the green knowing that Sunday today is actually St. Patrick's Day. And of course, my hat. We want to give a big shout out uh, to everyone on our online campus and our Poughkeepsie campus, those that shifted up there. We love you guys. Thank you so much. One church, multiple locations, and we're thankful for you. And just as a way of a shout out, hey, Poughkeepsie campus, who wants it? Who wants it? Go ahead. Catch. There you go. All right. Fantastic. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. We're in week number two of our series called SWAT and Spiritual Warfare and Tactics. We kicked it off last week as we started to just introduce the idea and also about spiritual warfare, introducing that idea and also talking about the belt of truth. Before we jump into today's message, though, uh, I just want to share with you in all your cup holders at our Poughkeepsie campus, online campus, you can find out as well. Just our Connexus conference is coming up less than two weeks, and so you'll see there in Poughkeepsie uh, our lineup of speakers. What is Connexus all about? Well, it's really emphasizing what the Bible emphasizes, and that is God has a plan and purpose for every single follower of Christ. It's not just what we do on Sunday. What I do as a pastor is more important what you do Monday through Saturday, so or Monday through Friday. That's why we call it the other six days. Uh, did you know that's the emphasis, the theme of, of this conference, the other six days? Did you know 12 out of 12 of Jesus' disciples were business people? And not one of them, zero, were religious leaders that worked in the temple. Not one. And so we've had this wrong idea, it's not what the Bible says, that what I do as a pastor is more important to God than what you do Monday through Friday. So I invite you to, to sign up. Our early bird registration is going to be ending, cost is going to go up. Uh, it's free on Friday night, but we're going to have a panini bar, and we do need to know that you're coming. Austin Flores, our uh, resident culinary chef is going to be doing this awesome panini bar free of charge but you have to register if you don't register we're going to have to turn you away at the door because we're just making enough food for those who register even for the free night on friday night so please check that out go ahead and register so we can make plans accordingly for our connexus leadership conference we'll be introducing and launching uh, connexus bible institute uh, right there on March the 29th. We're real excited about that. Over 300 classes where you can go deep and develop even a greater understanding of the Bible. There's so much, as Connexus is really going national, so much I want to share with you uh, at, at our conference. So please make plans to attend. Friday is, pr is a free preview. And then Saturday, we're drilling down deep. This incredible uh, group of speakers are going to be uh, sharing how God is just using them to be salt and light the other six days Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday. God's got a plan and purpose for your life. Well, I hope you go ahead and open up your Valley app because I want you to follow along. I'm going to talk really fast today. Got a lot of ground to cover, so I hope you just listen slow and together we're going to work it all out uh, as I talk fast and you listen slow. You'll catch everything and you'll want to be able to look back at a lot of the scriptures we're going to be looking at today. Last week we talked about the fact that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. Uh, God's not the only one that has a plan and purpose for your life. Also our enemy, Satan, also has a plan and purpose. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life, and that life would be more abundant. In other words, Jesus came that we would live the best life possible that God created you and me for. But the reality is so many of us live below it because there's a spiritual battle going on that we're not even aware of, and this is why 
So many of you, it was the number one response from our Christmas surveys about spiritual warfare. Wanted to know more about spiritual warfare than any other topic. And so we decided to do this six-part series. And a big shout-out to Liquid Church uh, also that helped us so much with the content, the graphics, so much, uh, the notes, everything with this series. We really thank them uh, for their generosity. So here's the first point that that I, I think is so important as we kick off today, talking about the breastplate of righteousness. And that is the enemy comes through invitation or invasion our enemy he comes through invitation or invasion he looks for a crack in your life and mine and he wants to exploit that crack we're going to look at that today how that actually happens and and so just framing it quick review Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 kind of our framework for this whole series it says put on the full armor of God notice it's God's armor it's not Greg's armor it's not your armor this is God's armor his armor that he knows will allow us to be victorious whenever we're in a spiritual battle and that's pretty much every single day but we have to make that deliberate intentional decision put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes and he He's got a scheme for your life. He's got plans to destroy and to kill and to rob from you, just like he does for me and every believer. And then dropping down into Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, the Apostle Paul begins to describe the armor of God. And he was under house arrest when he wrote these words. The Holy Spirit was inspiring him. And and he literally is looking, if you can just imagine this, he's looking at a Roman centurion that's posted there. And he's using the armor of a Roman centurion in the first century to describe the weapons that God has given to you and me, the armor of God. Let's look at it. He says, stand firm then, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And we talked about that last week, that it's so important that we have the belt of truth. It's all about the core. And we're going to find, even as we look at the rest of the armor of God, it all starts with this belt of truth. It wasn't accidental that Paul started with the belt of truth. The truth is Jesus Christ, God's opinion on anything and everything, that's what is true. And as we looked at last week, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. When we agree with God, that's the truth. When we disagree, that's a lie, that's falsehood. And so it's so important that we start with the belt of truth. And then it goes on and it says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. That's what we're going to look at today. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And he goes on in this explanation. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. The evil one has these arrows. Those are thoughts. Those are ideas that he puts, lies that he shoots into our mind. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so let's take a look at what this would actually look like. In terms of the armor of God, this is the breastplate of righteousness. And you see up underneath it here, this is the belt of truth. That would be placed first and foremost. And then the breastplate of righteousness would cover uh, and protect the soldier, soldier's vital organs, especially his heart. And, and the reason why, think about it, in these times, an arrow in the heart is a kill shot. It's an absolute kill shot. And so they would put on this heavy metal 
plate on their chest. It was around the back as well. In fact, doing a little bit of study and research found out that sometimes uh, when um, a wealthy family would send their son into the army, they would actually even buy to put over the top of this a little coat of mail. They wouldn't wear it in the back, but even on the front to add even more protection to it. Why? Because an arrow in the heart is a kill shot. And, And so The belt of truth comes first. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The truth comes first, the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of who I am, the truth of who God is, the truth of what God feels on every opinion. That's the truth. The belt of truth and then the breastplate of righteousness. And what is is righteousness? What does it mean, righteousness? You don't necessarily hear that word much unless you know you're in California around the surfers and they're like, oh, righteous, dude. Uh, what, what does righteousness really mean? Uh, second point is this. I heard this somewhere. I don't remember where, but I think it's a great definition of righteousness. It, you see it in the word right, right, and righteousness. Righteousness is upright living that aligns with God's expectations. In other words, when I live the way that God wants me to live, I'm righteous. The belt of truth starts off, and then the righteous, the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is upright living that aligns with God's expectation. In other words, this is why I say it this way, that I am living the best life when I choose to live the best life that Jesus came to give you and I. Every, t- every other area of life, every other type of living, approach to living, is below the best life that God created you and me for, unless we line up, align ourselves with God's expectations. That's when, it doesn't mean perfect, it doesn't mean without challenges, we're talking about spiritual warfare. There's going to be challenges, there's going to be difficulties, there's going to be things that you and I have to overcome. But it's when we align with God's expectation, upright living, that lines up, aligns with God's expectation, that's when you and I live the best life that God created you and I to live. It's intentionally choosing a lifestyle that aligns with God's standards. It means obedience, obedience to God's word and his expectations. It's fulfilling those expectations. And and you know what happens when we align ourselves with God's expectations? It protects us. It safeguards our relationships. Let me give you examples of that. Uh, First of all, if I'm living righteously in my marriage, that means that I'm 100% faithful to my wife Susie in my body and in my mind and in my thoughts as well. That's being righteous, living righteously in my marriage. If you're a righteous student, it means that you're 100% honest in every way, that you don't cheat on tests, you don't copy homework, you don't plagiarize reports. That was, that's what it means to be righteous as a student. If you're a righteous employee, it means that you do your work with 100% effort, not half-hearted, not just a, uh, punching in and punching out to get a paycheck. It means that you do your work with excellence, you give it your best, you honor your boss, and you always do what's right for the organization that God's placed you in. That's what it means in terms of work. Righteousness is upright living that aligns with God's expectation, and that's what God's expectation is for. That's what Connexus Leadership Network is all about, that that we actually line ourselves up the other six days with God's expectations. For you and for me, because he has a plan and he has a purpose. So why is righteousness so important? 
Well, righteousness is like, that breastplate of righteousness, it's like a bulletproof vest. If you think about it that way, it's like a bulletproof vest for Christians. Because unrighteousness, the presence of unrighteousness, or in other words, sin in our lives, it is like really a bowl of rotten fruit. It invites the flies. You ever seen, a, you know, just had like a, a bowl of fruit and underneath all of the, the fruit, maybe, maybe an apple goes bad or some bananas start going bad, and all of a sudden you notice fruit flies everywhere? It just, when it goes rotten, when we allow rotten stuff and we choose rotten stuff in our life, it's called sin, it attracts the flies. It attracts the fruit flies. And so uh, what, what that looks like is hidden sexual and lustful thoughts in our, in our minds, uh, uh, cheating at our work or fudging the numbers, fudging the numbers on our taxes, you know, not, not speaking the truth in love, but kind of skirting around it with uh, white lies, gossiping about coworkers or, or other people that we know, uh, other churches. The Bible calls that unrighteousness. You know, there's a whole business in America today. It's all about gossip, the gossip business. Their television programs, websites, it's all about the latest and greatest gossip. That's unrighteousness. That's sin. That attracts the flies. The Bible calls that unrighteousness, and it opens, us, opens the door of our life, gives us a crack in the armor, and it invites the enemy invasion into our lives. Pretty interesting, one of the names that's used for Satan throughout Scripture is Beelzebub. And Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. And I put the references there in your notes uh, of the times that that's used. That's how King James uh, translates it, Beelzebub. It's actually in the Old Testament as well. Don't want to go too deep into it, but Beel is a form of Baal that actually the Philistines in the Old Testament worship. And, and this is kind of, King James says Lord of the Flies, kind of uh, spruced it up and cleaned it up a little bit. Because it means more than the Lord of the Flies. What it actually means is Lord of the Dung Heap. This was the number one uh, name that in the uh, New Testament, the Pharisees and religious leaders used for Satan was Beelzebub. And, and uh, it means Lord of the Dung Heap, which attracts the flies. In other words, Lord of the Poop Pile. That's really the literal translation. Lord of the Poop Pile, the pile of poop. And, and when we allow, can I put it this way? When we allow poop... In our lives, sin, it attracts the flies. It opens the door for the enemy to invade our life, our minds, our relationships, everything to do with our life. So here's the secret. If, uh, if you want the devil to mess with you, you don't have to send him a text message. Just allow sin in your life to fester and go rotten because the poop draws the flies all the time. That's all you've got to do. We create an environment that, that so many times we actually attract the enemy into our lives because of the compromise that we allow in our lives. He'll come in and he'll mess with your mind. He'll tinker with your thoughts. He'll buzz around your emotions and he'll lay eggs of anger, and jealousy, bitterness, resentment. And then they'll hatch and they'll cause discord and division in your relationships. And then you'll blame God, why did you allow this to happen? So many Christians, that's what they do. And they actually invited the enemy into their life to cause division and heartache. 
And so this is so incredibly important what we're talking about today. The big question is this, will you put on the breastplate of righteousness that repels the enemy's invasion? Every day you and I need to put on God's breastplate of righteousness. And what is that? It's the Bible word for, it's holiness. That's what it is, holiness. Holiness is like the flak jacket. It means that our actions align with God's truth. Let me give you a definition of holiness because so many people have the wrong idea about it. Holiness, even in the Bible sense, literally means this. Set apart, separate, and different from the culture around us. That's what holiness means. Holiness gets a bad rap like, oh, holier than thou. But, but all throughout Scripture, the Bible says God is holy and he expects you and I as his followers to be holy. What does that mean? It doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean perfect at all. What it means is different, set apart, different from the culture around us. That's what holiness really means. In fact, look at this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. The Bible says, but just as he who called you is holy, God called us, he's holy, he's set apart, he's different, he's not like the humanity, he's not full of sin, he's not full of selfishness, he's not full of jealousy and envy and all those things, anger. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. That's what God expects from you and me, to be set apart and different than the world. That we're not supposed to have the same values, the same priorities, the same passions even that the world has around us. So be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy, is what God says. And as my children, you're supposed to be a chip off the old block. You're supposed to be holy. I'm supposed to be holy. Set apart, different, righteous. When our life aligns with God's expectations. That's what truly holiness really means. And so that's what God wants for you and for me. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 gives us a little better understanding of this whole idea of holiness. Beloved, I beseech you as aliens and exiles. That's what you and I are. We're supposed to be different. So different, not, not weird, not strange, but different, that the Bible says you're an alien. You and I, our lives are supposed to look like we're aliens. I beseech you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, watch this now, that wage war against your soul. When you and I tolerate sin in our own lives, compromise in our own lives, just something as simple as gossip to to like the, the worst sin you can imagine, when we just tolerate anything on that spectrum, look at what the Bible says. We invite the enemy in to wage war against our soul. Against our soul. It's like, let the battleground come inside of me. So important. So many Christians live defeated lives because they don't understand this. And, And notice that the belt of truth comes first. Let's go to that picture again. The belt of truth comes first. Even in Roman armor, this this armor of God, this analogy is the Holy Spirit's inspiring Paul to write this. When all that armor was on, it weighed over 70 pounds. That's a lot to carry around on a regular basis. But they would put the belt of truth on, and it's not this one up here, this is a different one, but it's right here where the sword of the Spirit, we'll get to that, where the sword of the Spirit is hanging, this is the shield of faith. 
but the belt would actually, the breastplate would rest upon and hook to the belt in a way to help support the breastplate. That's why the truth comes first. The belt of truth comes before the breastplate of righteousness. And so once you put on God's truth, then you put on his righteousness. The two were connected. And and so the breastplate was connected to the belt, and it helped to hold up the breastplate of righteousness. You can't have one without the other. You can't live a righteous life without the truth of God. It's it's impossible. Let me put it this way. You will take shots, kill shots to your heart over and over and over again, and I will too if I'm not walking in the truth of God. You have to have the belt of truth first before you can protect your heart from the kill shots, the breastplate of righteousness. Once you put on God's truth, then you put on his righteousness. Think of it this way. The belt, uh, the, the, think of it this way, it, it's like the belt of truth is like the railroad tracks that righteousness runs on. God's truth provides a track for righteousness to run on. It's like a train. The, the truth is like the tracks, and, and the train is, is really the righteousness that runs on the truth of God's word. It's obedience is what it is. So God's truth provides the track for righteousness to run on. Just like the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness rests upon the belt of truth. It's like a train and tracks. The tracks are the truth. And the train is righteousness, our obedience to God's truth. And Satan wants to get you off track by little compromises. It's not the big blowout. It's the little compromises. It's, it's the the little flies in the ointment that mess with us, that cause big, big blowouts. The railroad track is God's truth, and righteousness is the train of obedience. Do you you think it's just coincidence that when you're at your most vulnerable, there comes the big temptations? It's not coincidence. Satan wants to get your train of obedience, righteousness, off track, the track of truth. Oh, you know what? You've had a tough week. Why not just, why not just medicate some way? You, you deserve this. You, you, you've worked so hard. Nobody has ever felt the way that you do. You, you know what? It's, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Nobody will find out. Just running us off the tracks of truth. There is no coincidence when, when you're at your most vulnerable and you find temptation outside of your marriage. That's not coincidence. That's an invasion. When, when you find your, your family relationships, you're at your, your, they're vulnerable, and then you find temptation just to cut off a family member. That's not coincidence. That's an invasion. Your roommate, you just can't get along with any longer. You know, when, you're, when it just seems like things are going bad, it goes from bad to worse. The other shoe drops. That's not coincidence. That's invasion. When you're on the job and and it it seems like things aren't working out and it just goes from bad to worse, that's not coincidence. That's invasion. I just don't want to put in my best any longer. I'll just do it my way. And then you find yourself on the highway, out of work. That's not coincidence. That's an invasion. The enemy 
I don't know how else to put this. The enemy makes a study of you and me. He studies us. And he doesn't wait to, to tempt us when we're at our strongest. He always looks to hit us in the heart when we're at our weakest. When we're at our weakest. When our guard is down. Not when our guard is up, but when our guard is down. I remember one of my professors in college, she was speaking uh, to, to a class of homiletics. I think it was my, my advanced homiletics class. He, he taught uh, all of them, actually. I think it was in advanced homiletics that he said to all those, uh, all those of us that were taking that homiletics as sermon prep and preaching, taught me how to do what I do now, you know, what I'm doing right now. And, uh, and, and he said this. He said, listen, you need to understand something. The enemy will never attack you at your known weakness place. That's not where people ruin their lives. Because so many times we'll, we're double guarded in some area that we feel is weak. The enemy will wait until we're down and then he attacks us in that area that we think, oh, I'll never do that. I'd never fall there. I'd never give in to that. Because we're not double guarded in that area of weakness. He attacks us in our area of strength. Because pride, we say, I would never do that. And just when we're down and vulnerable, bang, he hits us. It's not coincidence. It's timing. It's not coincidence. It's an invasion. And so you and I, we need to embrace that, this bulletproof vest of the breastplate of righteousness so that when we get a hit in the heart, a kill shot, we can survive it. You know, many of us right now, the reality is we are vulnerable to a heart attack. Spiritually speaking, you and I, we're vulnerable to a heart attack. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, maybe you've heard this said before. Sometimes it gets a little cliche with Christians, but I, wa I want to I, I look at this, what really the Bible's talking about. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, guard your heart. You might hear that you think that's just some kind of cliche, Christian cliche. Guard your heart. No, the Bible says it for a reason. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Everything springs out of the heart. And so you'll hear people say, guard your heart. You know, in a relationship, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. What does it mean, guard your heart? That's what this breastplate is for. Not just all the organs, but, but especially the heart. To guard the heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Biblically speaking, the Bible says that, that your heart, or sometimes you'll see the word soul instead, it's the same idea. Guard your heart, guard your soul. The soul is actually made up of four distinct parts. Four distinct parts of the heart or the soul. The first is the mind. The mind, and that's where your thoughts and ideas that you have. The, the mind is where Satan will attack you into thinking with lies about God. Oh, God's angry at me. He doesn't really forgive me. He doesn't really love me. I, I've, I've done so much so bad that I've lost my salvation. Your mind, you'll have, be filled with anxious thoughts that he creates, that will, and you will entertain those things with worry and with fear. Or you get fixated in our minds uh, with lustful or addictive thoughts, and then they establish strongholds in our minds so that when pressure comes, stress comes, we go to, to uh, medicate with 
fantasy and illusions and, and thoughts in our minds rather than turning toward God. In our minds, guard your heart. That's the mind as well, that idea of our soul. The second one is your will. These all make up, these four parts make up our soul or our heart, biblically speaking. And that is your ambition and your desires that you pursue and that I pursue. Satan will tempt us and direct our ambitions away from eternal pursuits and push us to chase after things that are temporary, that are short-sighted, even things that directly oppose God's will. That's what he'll do in our will. I want to do this. I don't want to follow God's uh, perfect design and his desire for my life. I want to do this instead. Listen, one of the greatest tools of Satan is this, to keep you so busy doing things that really don't matter that you don't have time to prioritize eternal things. What in your life right now, you're actually just spinning wheels. Ten years from now, it makes, it will make no difference whatsoever. And we fill and we pack our schedules full of so much, so many things, we don't have time to do what it is that God really wants us to do. We're too busy. Too busy. Your will, your ambition, and the desires that you pursue. Then is the emotions, our feelings that we have. These all make up the soul or the heart of a man, biblically speaking, or, or, or of humanity. Your emotions. Satan will tamper with your feelings, amplify fleshly responses like anger or revenge against someone who hurts you. you you'll want to see them pay. You'll want your pound of flesh. Get you to feel sad or discouraged like no one cares that you're completely isolated. No one has ever had it as bad as you. And so you deserve to just dabble in things that God doesn't want you to be involved in your feelings. And then the fourth area that makes up the soul, the heart from the biblical perspective is a conscience, your moral compass that guides you. Your conscience is the microphone that the Holy Spirit uses to amplify the, amplify the voice of God in your life. So some of you, I, I challenged everyone to last week, between last Sunday and this Sunday, to read Ephesians chapter 1. And, and this week, challenge you again, read Ephesians chapter 2 every day, all week long. And, and there's six chapters in Ephesians. We're reading together as a church one chapter each week. Last week was Ephesians chapter 1 every day. This week, Sunday to Sunday, Ephesians chapter 2. And, and you know what's been happening for, for many of us? As we've been reading Ephesians chapter 1 this week together, um, God has started to speak to us. The Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. Gently convicting you of actions and words that are not in line with God's word his expectations. And if you take that to heart and change, you're protecting yourself with that breastplate of righteousness. It's righteous. There's this real powerful uh, passage in 1 Timothy. Look at what it says here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, this whole idea of conscience. It says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. When the Holy Spirit is saying, don't do that, Greg, I don't want that for you, that's below God's best for you, and I, in my mind and my thinking, and, and in my will, in my emotions, in my conscience, I say no, 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 no. My conscience is beginning to be seared. 
more and more and more. And that's what this is talking about. The more a Christian says no to the Holy Spirit's conviction, the more their conscience becomes seared. Listen, I've been a pastor almost 30 years now, and I have heard some of the craziest, irrational excuses for sin. I, I, I've, heard, I've heard a man say, you know what? I, I believe because I have a mistress on the side, it makes my marriage stronger. Are you nuts? That's crazy. That is absolute craziness. But that man's conscience was seared. He actually think his marriage was better because he was cheating on his wife. So this is, this is sobering. This is what the scripture says. And that's why we need to be on guard. So let me ask you a question. Where are the holes in your armor? Where are the holes where in your armor, the cracks in your armor, the sin that you're just saying, that's okay, I'll deal with it at some point. And God's saying, that is hurting you more than you even realize right now. Because the conscience being seared doesn't happen overnight. It's the slow burn. It's the slow leak of righteousness. Where's the crack in your armor right now? See, God's word made it clear. It's what, it's what the cross was all about. It's the great exchange that happened at the cross. Hey, as we're moving into you know, that season where Good Friday and Easter, God accomplished this for you and for me. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself, that's Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus lived a sinless life, and he laid his life down on the cross for you and for me. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live, watch this now, for righteousness that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. He's the remedy. He's the remedy for sin. That's why he died. And, and, and every time that you and I, and, and, and I'm not a perfect person. You're not a perfect person. None of us are, are perfect. And, and that's why this whole comparison is sin as well. When we compare ourselves to someone else, we, we pursue perfection, perfectionists, and we never arrive there. We can't, but we judge others and we think, well, I'm not as bad as that one, and that's pride in our life, and by the way, that's sin as well. We were infected by it. That's why Jesus died. That's why he had to die, because he loved you and loved me so much. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins, that we have the power of, of the Holy Spirit that breaks the power of sin in my life and your life. And we can turn from it and choose, I'm going to walk God's way. I'm going to do God's will. That every day, in essence, we're praying that prayer, not my will, but your will be done, that prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. So that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Another, another powerful passage about this whole idea of the exchange. Because he took our sins, we can take on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Makes this so very, very clear, crystal clear. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin. 
Jesus didn't only take on the punishment for our sins, he took on sin itself. He became sin. God poured out his wrath, the punishment and the price for for my personal sin and my sin nature itself and yours as well. He poured all that punishment out on Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Why? So So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now watch this now. This is what theologically we call this imputed righteousness. Uh, This is the best kind of uh, illustration of this that I can possibly uh, give you. And then we'll get back to the armor of God because it's all connected together. This is Greg. This This is me and my sinfulness. But when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior who became sin, not just took the punishment and penalty for my sins, but my sin nature as well, He paid the price. God's wrath was poured out upon him. And he rose again three days later. That's why it's not left for me any longer and for every Christian. When when I I look in the mirror and, and so many times I see my sin, I see my failure, I see my faults. But at the cross, when I receive Jesus Christ, Jesus' righteousness is put upon me. And this is how God sees me. And this is how God sees you if you've received Christ as your Savior. He doesn't see all this sin any longer. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfection. That's why this is why the perfection of Jesus Christ. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might, res- might become righteousness of God. And this is what's called imputed righteousness. When God sees me, This is what he sees, the perfection, the holiness, the sinlessness of Jesus Christ that he exchanged with me on the cross. Now here's the thing. I'm still messed up underneath, but God is working underneath the hood to cause my inward character and your inward character to actually begin to conform to this pattern of Jesus Christ. That's the process like this. Our character is being conformed to the image of Christ, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 12. I, I, no, not 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, but where it says, uh, do not be uh, conformed to the, in, to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the process. In theology, we call this sanctification. That's when underneath the righteousness of Christ, I'm actually becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Imputed righteousness. And so, you are righteous in Christ. When God looks at you, we put on that armor, we put on the belt of truth, we put on that breastplate of righteousness. Listen, that's Jesus. He's righteous, and we, we put on the righteousness of Christ. That's how God sees you. That's how God sees me. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? What is it that you see? Are you being molded day by day? Let, let, let's put that, that picture up. Are you being molded? This is Jesus. <laughs> I don't look like me. That's Jesus. Are you being molded day by day as God is working under the hood in your life? Are you being molded into the image of Jesus Christ? The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, it allows us to guard our heart because out of our heart, our soul flows all the things of life. 
That's why this is so powerful. That's why we're taking our time week after week going through each part of this armor of God. Remember, it's the armor of God. This is God. It looks like God. It looks like Jesus. And so, right now, I just want to pray. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you just to to bow your heads with me right now in prayer. Because for many of us, this is going to be a game changer. When we just learn, just as we're going step by step here, put on the belt of truth every day. Put on the breastplate of righteousness that's going to protect us from a kill shot to our hearts. Our hearts are under attack, and we need the breastplate of righteousness, Jesus Christ's righteousness every single day that we put that on. I'm going to ask, would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that is so practical for everyday life. Lord, it hasn't lost its power, not in 2,000 years. And and Lord, if if another 2,000 years go by before Jesus returns, Lord, it'll still be just as powerful as it was the days that, that pen first ink hit parchment as you inspired the Apostle Paul to write your words, your thoughts, your ideas by your Holy Spirit. And Father, I just pray right now for us as a church family, for every single person in the hearing of my voice, Lord, that we would daily make that decision, not just to to put on the belt of truth, it's so important to our core, but Lord, also to put on the breastplate of righteousness, that we would remind ourselves every day when we look in the mirror how you see us perfect and sinless, and Lord, we would say no to the Lord of the flies in our life. We would turn away from those things in our lives that attract the flies and the Lord of the flies, Beelzebub. And we would stand by the righteousness of Jesus Christ and say, not my will, but Lord, yours be done. Let my life be aligned to your plan, your purpose, and your expectations for me. Thank you, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit that breaks the power of sin in our lives. When we confess them to you, you're faithful and just to forgive us of sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we can be righteous. Right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity if you're here today and you've never prayed and received Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How do we do that? Well, it's as easy as A, B, C. You admit that you're a sinner. Every one of us is. You believe in Jesus Christ, and then you commit to follow him. And I guess you could even say it's as easy as A, B, C, and D, and the D is you decide to do it today. So right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to lead you in a prayer, and I just invite you, if you've never done it before, open your heart up to Jesus right now and receive him and his sacrifice for you through his sinless life, sacrificial death, and his resurrection from the dead, and receive his righteousness. Can't earn it, don't deserve it. It's a gift that he wants to give you, and every one of us he wants to receive. Just repeat after me right now, Heavenly Father, Forgive me of my sin. 
I turn from my sin today and I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. Jesus, thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. And now, Jesus, I ask you to lead me, guide me, direct me from this day forward, and I will follow you. In Jesus' name.